Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Former disgraced House Representative Greg Stilson is back in the news after the release of his controversial new book, which gives tips for self defense. The chapter in question, titled Children as Human Shields A How To Guide, will subsequently be removed from all future printings. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. What's up, constant readers? And today we are finishing The Dead Zone, a Patreon selection by Jared Hazelwood. If you are following along, great. If not, major spoilers ahead. And we have Josh leading the discussion. All right. A quick recap of where we left things off with Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith spent four years in a coma and woke up uh, as an X-Men. And it took (laughs) 200 pages. (laughs) I was not expecting this book to be as revival-esque. As it has been in that like revival was the first Mm -hmm. book I remember reading that was we followed him from a child Mm -hmm. all the way to the end of his life. And that's not what I was expecting with this book. So I have been completely surprised by the tone. I think maybe it's the fact that it's just about this guy's life and the entire story is extremely low stakes (laughs) until the very end. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because we get to what I thought this book was about very early in this second half, and then it's done. It's over. (laughs) If you would have asked me before we started rereading this, just based on my memories, what is the dead zone about? I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's a murder mystery. (laughs) (laughs) And it is 100% not. Let's get to the mystery part as fast as possible. Uh, but don't we first... want to cover the really, really sad sex scene? Yes, that was what I was going to go to sad next. Sex scene. The section kicks off with, I'm paraphrasing the first line of this chapter, but Sarah and I finally fucked. Yeah. It's kind of how it kicks off. Yeah, uh, away with words. Thank you. I'm a poet. <laughs> Sarah basically shoots him a message and is like, hey, I'll be around if you want to reach out. And he's like, I don't know. Yeah, I do. Come on over. Bring your kid. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's just uh, in general. Yeah, that's not because they had sex. That's fair. (laughs) That was the weirdest part because I was like, oh, she brought her kid and it's going to be a buffer, uh, a buffer. And then they're like, nah, this kid can sleep through it. (laughs) (laughs) They they let the kid play. Uh, What I like about up until the sex scene is that there really is no rush. Like, they are just enjoying each other's company, uh, almost pretending. They're being a family. Yeah. It is very tragically romantic. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's not what I'm reading this book for. (laughs) I don't know. I still have a crush on Johnny. So this goes to an issue I had because she cheated on her husband. And I want to be mad at her. But I'm not mad at her. Should I be mad? (laughs) Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't feel mad at her. I also don't want to be mad at her. The whole situation sucks so bad. Mm -hmm. It's all a wash. Yeah. Like, (laughs) it's bad for everyone. No one's having a good time out of all of this. And it's this was a special moment that, in the scheme of the book, you know, is all about destiny. And this is, like, 
his reward for for um all the shit that he's about to go through for the rest of his life. And now this makes me think of the gunslinger. King writes some real great romantic tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I just realized I kind of said that Sarah was just a reward for uh, for Johnny, and that is no, uh, not. I, I I I think if I'm interpreting what you meant correctly, it's it's that the sex scene gives a sense of we- weirdly wholesomeness to their relationship. Like it, it feels like the reward is that he gets to complete what. Part. Yeah. What? God so damn it, Sam. Yeah, no, we're <laughs> digging ourselves in a hole. He gets to experience part of the life he would have had had this tragedy not happened. Mm-hmm. And he gets to set that part of his life aside He now. gets to put it yes. to bed. God damn it, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they, get, they have sex in a barn. And it's like a teenagers. very Truman show where I feel like, and it was described more thoroughly than this, but I still feel... Like James Franco was telling it to me while someone else had my shoulders and was steering me away from it. And I was like, but wait, I'm supposed to watch this. And I'm just seeing curtains flutter in the breeze. That's that's how it felt. (laughs) Uh, I see. I do like that they, you know, they spend the rest of the day. Herb comes home and they all have dinner and he plays with his air quote grandkid. That was the biggest tragedy of it. This day that Johnny has, it's it's very romantic and timeless, you know, because they, they spend this warm spring day together or whatever. And his dad comes home and they have a meal together and it is like a family. And this whole day sounds like a goddamn fucking nightmare to me. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Johnny... Like, this is a hugely, this says a lot more about me than anything in the book, (laughs) but such a hugely personal thing between just the two of them. And they have drug her uh, small child (laughs) and an elderly man into it. They should have had her husband come over and he and Johnny could fight. They could get into a little tiff. (laughs) (laughs) Just really bring everything together. After all this is over, they had that moment of saying, like, let's keep in touch. Or maybe we shouldn't because it Mm -hmm. would just be too easy. And I really respected that choice Mm -hmm. that both of them are recognizing this, that this is where their lives pretty much go apart from here. It's kind of like digging through your long dead grandmother's attic. And finding love letters she wrote to not your grandpa while they were married. And you read them and you're swept away in this romance. And I'm just describing, I think, the bridges of Madison. <laughs> 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 I've, I've never seen it. I, was, I can't be sure. <laughs> I was like, this is such a specific <laughs> example. This has to be tr- a true, a true CM experience. <laughs> Oh, we should look in Sam's attic. (laughs) I would respect the shit out of my grandmas if I found out they had a secret romance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the next day, Johnny gets a package in the mail with no return address, and it's a copy of our favorite magazine, Inside View. Okay, I thought this was hilarious because he gets it, and it's this guy who's anonymous, an anonymous (laughs) source, just trash-talking him, and basically saying the things that he said as if Johnny said them like, oh, Johnny's like, no, I'm going to just going to pay back my medical bills and I can get a book out of this, blah, 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 just being shitty. 
Johnny reacted the way I would have reacted. <laughs> His dad was super upset for him, though. Yeah. He's like, Dad, it's okay. This means people will leave me the hell alone. <laughs> people stop sending me their watches. The guy did him a favor. It's so funny. It's like it reminds me of the tabloid writer guy in the dark half where mm. he was like a genuine like sad was like okay fine and ended everything but he was kind of a genuine threat to his career mm-hmm. but then this <laughs> inside view guy is like you're not a real psychic and johnny's like fucking cool okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's basically like, leave him alone, everybody. Yeah. And it was like he was trying to play a prank on him, but he doesn't know how pranks work. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's worked out great for him. But he gets a call soon after this from a denizen of Castle Rock. Sheriff Bannerman calls him. Sam, you looked very excited at that name. I hate him. (laughs) What? Fuck him. Wow. I hate him and I'm hanging on to it. Whoa, that is not the reaction I was expecting. Why? I am tell so him, get, mad. Go, let's tell us about the Bannerman. So before I hated him, I was into him. I thought this was going to be fun. <laughs> I'm not like into him like that. But I was like, ooh, Bannerman, Castle Rock, neat. He calls Johnny and he had received a call from Sam Wiseau. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> telling him that he should talk to Johnny. Because we know that in Castle Rock, there have been just a ton of murders and they're horrible. This guy's killing women. George Bannerman is at his wits end and he's coming up for re-election too. And he's not being like that about it. Mm-hmm. But he recognizes, you know, I stepped in after these things had started and the last guy could not find this person. And I'm out of here if I can't. And, and I want to do a good job and I want to stay here. So had respect for him to start. Johnny is super upset and basically tells him to F off. I'm paraphrasing. If you guys want to add to that, you can. (laughs) I think that sums it up. That's pretty accurate. And then he calls Tommy and he gets, (laughs) is that just going to be too confusing? (laughs) Then he calls Dr. Wyzak and he is so angry with him. And to, to Sam's credit, he is so graceful in this moment. Still the best character in the book. Yes. He's like, I totally understand why you're mad at me and I should have contacted you and asked your permission or at the very least told you what I had done, given you a heads up. Just apologizes, very heartfelt, but still encourages him to do it. And so he thinks about it, decides not to, and then a little girl gets murdered. And then he's like, fuck. <laughs> I could have stopped that. Yeah. Basically Spider-Man's origin story. Yeah. Is this right. nine-year-old girl Uncle Ben? Because he, I, he doesn't stop the little girl's murder and I, yeah. uh, was bitten by a radioactive spider. Yeah, <laughs> totally tracks. I read the rest <laughs> of this book. <laughs> so then he calls George back and they meet up for lunch. And it's just interesting. They're back and forth together. They meet up at this diner halfway between Castle Rock and Pownall is where yeah, he's still he's, living. They kind of walk through the crime but uh, first, I want to talk about he, he what, shakes his hand or touches his shoulder and gets the reading off of him that he has a little girl named something like Kathy and that he's going to be ripped apart by a giant dog. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been helpful. News. A little while. No, he doesn't mention that at all. Uh, <laughs> good job. Good job, Johnny. Also, we went a whole episode with Wiseau Joe and the room jokes and didn't didn't mark on the main character being named Johnny. I oh, mean, my God. Come on. 
Yeah, we really missed an opportunity <laughs> we, there. We dropped the ball. What's wrong with us? What were we talking about? The diner. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he gives him that read, and I like that Bannerman's basically like, well, uh, if you are a fake, you're really fucking good. <laughs> And lays it out for him that, that, you know, this has been five years going. The FBI hasn't been able to help. They have very limited evidence. And he reveals that that nine-year-old girl, girl who was murdered easily could have been his daughter. Because she was, it's the, between the school and the library yeah. where this happened, where the, the commons are. Yeah, the, the commons are in like a low area, so it can't be seen from the road. Yeah. And it, he had just been waiting by these uh the bleachers where he had killed previously so bannerman didn't think he'd return to the scene of the crime to kill again mm-hmm. which is just not how that usually works usually if you have a good dumping ground and you go back there to relive it i say you they, 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 <laughs> they, 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 they. so then they get to the station and there are a bunch of reporters and of course they recognize johnny and He's just trying to have no part of that. And they also meet the other police officers who are at the who, station. Who are definitely not going to be important later. No. Roscoe I, Fisher thought I thought he might be pretty important. And Frank Maybe Dodd. Frank Dodd. <laughs> well, Roscoe's asleep and Frank looks like he's been working his butt off. He looks tired and exhausted. And so they go into George, George's office and they're talking and he's... They're trying to figure out how to get out of here without being seen because he initially has the envelope with the cigarette butts and the package and everything, and he can't get a read on any of that, and he's really disappointed. And George is being super nice still at this point about it. Mm. And this reminded me of Colorado Kid because they're talking about the tax stamp <laughs> yeah. on the cigarette carton and everything. The, the the procedural part of this part. Yeah, yeah. And, I had the same feeling. Yeah, and Johnny's very good at it too. He's he's thinking very analytically and putting things together. So they decide they, they can't go out the exit because the way the door works, the alarm will go off. You can only come mm. in that way. And so they just go out and accept the fact that the reporters are going to follow them because Johnny wants to go to the commons area where this happened. Yeah, I love that Johnny is just like, is there a back way? And he's like, <laughs> not really. And he's like, well, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and we should mention too, this is during like a blizzard. A blizzard is coming mm-hmm. into town as yeah. all of this is happening. And this scene is pretty cool when he, well, pretty cool, terrifying, exciting when he is at the commons area because he gets his read. Oh yeah, he's, he's like, this is where we found a bunch of the cigarette butts. And Johnny puts his hand on the bench and he starts getting uh, feelings from a bunch of different people of people enjoying summer concerts here. And then he gets he locks in on this guy and Bannerman basically watches him transform and even says he sees like a smile show up on Johnny's face that he finds familiar, but he can't place why. Mm-hmm. What is the deal <laughs> with this trope? The, this king has this thing <laughs> where people will channel other people and their faces will actually change. Is this supposed to be literal? Is it? I think it's just Are we a, just like, it's magic, shut up. I just think it's a, a better way for us to feel that in writing. Okay. I think he's just fucking brilliant. And he just wrote a cool, cool way. <laughs> He's just a good writer. Hey, can't argue with that. Hey, yeah. Uh, he also, in this same channeling, suddenly channels a child who sees a man holding a stop sign and is scared the man's going to get him. 
That confused me very badly yeah. for, a, for a split second. Because I thought the mm-hmm. little kid was Frank. Like he was like me he was too. getting like a lot yeah. of his whole life. Yeah. But that's not that's not all what's happening. Yeah, I was like, oh, are they gonna say he he's this like weird monster because he got attacked by a guy with a stop sign? <laughs> part of this too, I can't quite remember which part maybe it was after we find out he kills himself. I was spoilers. Well, like we're gonna be talking about it in three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> like 10 pages from now. I was getting a lot of outsider vibes and I almost had a thought. I'm like, oh my gosh, what? Like, could you make this the outsider? Could Frank have been? But then some of the childhood stuff he did get. I'm like, no, that doesn't really work. Yeah. Oh, you're you were trying to say, what if Frank is an outsider? What or if he was outsider? Victim, the outsider uh, framed him and he was yeah El, no El once Coco. they because, once yeah. they go to his house i don't <laughs> think there's no. much yeah. of a question and before we do i have to say last episode i asked where vera smith fell on the bad uh. stephen king mother's uh chart and i want to apologize to her because she does not belong on the chart at all this woman does god damn yeah all right, uh, before we get to, to Henrietta, Johnny gets on, on the stage itself. He finds the place where it happened and catches all of it. Also, very much really weirdly reading that Frank was thinking about his mom as he was raping Ooh. and murdering this kid. It's it's um because I like Johnny as a character so much. It's really hard to read about him being taken over by the mind of a serial killer and knowing what that is like like understanding mm-hmm. how exhilarating and what he's getting out of the kills that's that was disturbing <laughs> yeah well it's one of the the scariest parts in the book i think it was last episode one of the things that always stuck with me was the image of him touching the coat and it being like it belonging yeah. to a madman and he he reels back because he, he says it feels like plunging his hand into a nest of snakes mm-hmm. and that image always stuck with me and like trying to imagine what it is like to suddenly have full knowledge of the inside of a truly disturbed murderer's mind fucking I scary no yeah. absolutely I'd read about it i don't want to <laughs> feel it myself yeah, yeah it, it really makes sense that um johnny kind of ages so quickly from yeah. all of this yeah he tells bannerman he knows who it is it's frank dodd he he's seen even he's even seen him in the slicker that he was attacking these women in and that's why there was no skin because he was wearing that raincoat and now we're going to get to so CM's feelings. So CM, <laughs> yeah. tell, take it over from here. At first, George Bannerman is like, oh my gosh, ha 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 ha. That's, if you knew the guy, you would laugh at yourself. It cannot be him. We all love him. He's basically like a son to me. He has this weirdly overbearing, crazy mom, and he's always doing everything <laughs> she wants, and that's not a red flag at all. He probably also wets the bed and tortured animals as a kid. He's just a real stand-up guy, so you have to be wrong. <laughs> he's like a son to me. So they make their way back to the station. Johnny's trying to convince him, and he's like, well, we, you do some detective work, dude, and like we can figure this out. I know I am not wrong. And so he's encouraging him to look at the time cards and see where he was when all the murders happened. And throughout this, George gets so pissed off at Johnny that he punches him. 
makes him bleed, busts his lip, I think, Mm -hmm. and then apologizes. Like he tries, it says he tries to pull back at the last minute, but he still hits a basically someone who's not healthy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then he's like, oops, kind of sorry. And then after a little bit, and, and he's finally coming around to this and Johnny's like helping him and he's starting to sort of believe it begrudgingly. He calls him a circus freak. He is so freaking rude and inconsiderate and cold. He called him. He put him through this this ordeal of having to have these experiences. He can see, and it's one of the first things that he notices, how this stuff affects Johnny because he is very sickly. And then he tells him, well, you can go get a ride from your best friends, the reporters. He basically is going to strand him there before he comes around again. He acts very poorly and... In my opinion, like I, I never come back around on him. He doesn't. He he gives in. They figure out that it is him. All the time cards match up. He has to call another state because he was out of town for a while. There was a murder there, so they're going to go to his house. And he's just. I mean, yeah, I know it's sad I, because it's like a son to you, but mm-hmm. it's not Johnny's fault. I hadn't thought about Bannerman much, honestly, because he's such a small part of this. The whole Frank Dodd murder storyline comes and goes so fast. I thought that, this was the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it might as well. It's it's so anticlimactic. But I, I hadn't thought about George Bannerman much other than it's like, oh, hey, it's that guy. He's going to be in another book. <laughs> but I completely agree with you now that you've laid out your argument. And I think I know why he's not very likable is he's a much more realistic cop than Alan, Alan Pangborn. Pangborn. Uh, Alan Pangborn is a good guy. <laughs> and George Bannerman is big, loud asshole who wants to cover up for this other cop who is very obviously a murderer. Mm-hmm. I think he probably takes it personally, too, because mm-hmm. he's taken this guy under his wing. And so... If I didn't see this, what was I intentionally ignoring? And he's got to come to terms with that at some point. But instead, he punches Johnny. He was grooming Frank to be sheriff. So they sneak out and they head over to the Dodds and we meet Henrietta Dodd. Ben, do you want to tell us about Henrietta? Cartoonishly grotesque. James Uh, Franco does an amazing job of making me quickly and angrily turn my phone volume down. (laughs) He is so shrill as her. (laughs) <laughs> it was an experience to I, hear it. I can imagine the voice in my head perfectly. <laughs> yeah, she's described in just it, not even unflattering terms. That does a disservice to unflattery. She's like gray and sickly. I think Johnny says, I don't think I've any see, ever seen anyone as sick as this person. <laughs> <laughs> and I've looked in a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> And she is immediately saying, what the hell do you want, George Bannerman? Leave my son alone. He's upstairs asleep like a good little boy. And you need to leave. And I laughed really hard when George's response to where's your warrant is, yeah, yeah, okay. And then shoving an old woman. (laughs) (laughs) She like grabs Johnny and he senses immediately she's known this whole time. He Mm -hmm. committed his first murder when he was 19, told her, and she helped him keep it quiet. Do you think she ever took sexy photos of herself and gave them to Uh, him? (laughs) 
Uh, Mr. Mercedes. (laughs) (laughs) They burst into his room, which is locked, and it's a child's room. Creepy. Very upsetting. And then they go down the hall and kick in the bathroom door, and Dada is naked except for his shiny black raincoat. He'd slit his own throat with I confess written on a sign and lipstick that he wore around his neck. Somehow, he knew the moment that he saw Johnny that this was it. Interesting that he was a believer. That makes sense to me. Because Frank Dodd, and this is something I was going to save to the end, mm-hmm. but it's it's such a huge part of the book. I, I want to talk about it because I don't fully understand it. Frank Dodd, Johnny Smith, and Greg Stilson all have something in common. And it is childhood family-based trauma. Johnny less so. Johnny has the head trauma. Yeah, so they they all have but they they all have trouble with parents because uh Johnny has once he's awakened his mom. Mm-hmm. Greg, we found out in the very beginning of the book that he was abused uh at the very least emotionally and mentally by his father and then obviously mm-hmm. Frank Dodd arguably got it the worst Mm -hmm. but yeah i wanted to talk to you guys like they have this connection and it feels like it's supposed to be a running theme in the book but i couldn't figure i was like what what are you trying to tell me dead zone does that make sense you wanted it to be a little more connected yeah i kind of see what you're saying is it anything that all three of these people became who they're traumatic parents wanted them to be maybe or that they were destined to become it's like a a statement of like your how you're raised it's a statement of resiliency because johnny has his dad and his mom wasn't she had mental health problems she Mm -hmm. wasn't horrible but he had a loving nurturing stable adult in his life who could help him develop resiliency Greg and Frank, they both take this terrible situation and some people, you know, they get therapy and they work through it and they figure it out and they're better for it or they help other people because they've shared that experience and that's what they're called to do now. Greg becomes a very powerful figure and uses his craziness to to get ahead in life in that in that very terrifying way that a lot of leaders do. Frank is on the other end of the spectrum, turns into a serial killer. I like that, that the message is that Johnny makes it, Johnny is a good person because he has the sport of his, you know, his dad. It's actually a trauma theory. Except, oh, my only problem with it is that it doesn't gain Johnny anything. At the end of the book, he ends in the same spot as Frank Dodd and Greg Stilson. But he, he is, to the eyes of the world, a monster. But he he sacrificed. Oh, <laughs> but he made that sacrifice willingly, though. But no one knows that. So what good does it do? No, I, I disagree. Well, I that's a, not a great statement either. <laughs> I don't think that's he not a good is argument. a monster in the eyes. Because we have, we're getting, we're just talking about the end. <laughs> I, I he, mean, yeah. He has the. The Stilson um, committee, like, is doing. Well, there, yeah, and the the guy who took the photo mm-hmm. that they tried to probably kill, there are enough things that he actually did do 
that people will come out and say, no, Johnny did this. Like, I think that's what the, the epilogue was supporting. Hmm. I mean, I'm, there are always going to be people who think he's a crazy monster, but I think his sacrifice is more meaningful because he will have people who know, who believe and know what he did. Well, let's get to how Stilson gets on Johnny's radar in the first place. We catch up. Johnny has now moved to New Hampshire. He is moved into the home, like the guest home of a rich family. He's tutoring Chuck, their son, uh, on like reading and retention because he has uh, his anxiety makes it hard for him to retain the things that he reads. I didn't think I was going to like Chuck. Chuck's great. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck's just pretty a nice good. Kid. And we find out that in his spare time, Johnny's made a habit of it's an election year. He's going around and meeting all the candidates and shaking their hands. <laughs> I love that he makes a point that he doesn't get anything from most of them because politicians have become so disconnected from their handshake meaning anything wow. that he that it's robotic. It's an interesting concept for this, for his powers. Yeah. How he said uh, he compares it to uh, it, it feels like shaking their hand that their personality is covered by like a thick layer of lucite. Yeah. Like he can just kind of see through it, but it's fake and blurry. It's cool. But the only two people he can get a read from are Jimmy Carter and Greg Stilson. <laughs> I, I, that was a fun little throwaway scene for him to meet Jimmy Carter and be like, hey, you're going to win. And he's like, fucking hope so. And then he just moves on. <laughs> and this is also very, very, we talked about it the first episode too, but much more 112263 vibey too. Yes. Mm. This this part is where it really gets into that. Uh, Chuck's dad, Roger, sits down with Johnny, gives him a bonus for doing such a great job. And then there's a quote here I just wanted to read that I thought was great. Because Johnny's trying to not take this money, and he says, "I'm you're going to take it because you did what you said you would do, and I do the same. 95% of people are inert, 1% saints, 1% assholes, and 2% people who do what they say they'll do. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. That. Yeah. And as they're talking, Greg Stilson comes up on the news, and Roger's like, I've been watching this guy. This shit's insane. Check it out. And... He's making a run as an independent for a seat in the House of Representatives, and the crowd is going apeshit for him. And I want to, I just want to go over Greg Stilson's platform <laughs> that he's running on. Not the platform that he's physically bull charging on back mm. and forth like an insane person in a hard hat. Great stuff. Stilson's platform is to drain the swamp, <laughs> kick out philanderers, send pollution to space in six months, infinite gas and oil, and hot dogs. I mean, he's I got was, a lot going for him. After Ben drawing parallels between this book and recent real life, I was traumatized reading about this, honestly. I was going to say, I, I don't know about you guys, but this part was extremely difficult for me to read. Yeah. It stressed me out to no end. Just the way that they describe Stilson's rallies of... His uh, thugs beating up people in the crowd, people getting hurt. It sucks. It is difficult. I tweeted at Stephen King that uh, I said I'm reading Dead Zone for the first time and Craig Stilson's giving me real 2016 election vibes. <laughs> You're less of a writer, more of a prophet. <laughs> Can we talk about The Laughing Tiger, which sounds like the most kick-ass game of tag ever? It's the, ga the, the game that go fat 
the uh, groundskeeper who's getting his citizenship. Oh, yes. The mellow tiger is the bar. Is that what you were thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Johnny is working for this family. And one of the other workers is this, is he Vietnamese? Vietnamese Vietnamese landscaper, gardener, whatever, who is currently working on taking his citizenship tests. And he tells Johnny that this Greg Stilson is going to be in town or nearby campaigning and that his whole class is going to go and see him talk. And Johnny asks this this guy, what do you think about Greg Stilson? And the guy's like, oh, that guy is a lunatic. He's, he's crazy, and he tells about this game that he used to play back in Vietnam called the Dancing Tiger. Laughing Tiger. The Laughing Tiger. <laughs> My mistake. Mellow Tiger. Mellow Tiger. <laughs> that, yeah, basically just sounded like tag, but menacing. <laughs> yeah, the whoever's the tiger gets to, like, chase down and, like, pretend to maul them, I guess. Yeah, basically he's just like, oh, I'm from Vietnam. I have seen, I've lived through the war. I am uh, here in this book to represent people that have seen demagogues or whatever. And this da- this Stilson guy is dangerous. Was there more to that? The, no, well, they, is that later? Later on, later. he tells him to just kill him. Okay, that's <laughs> that the story I kept thinking you were talking about. And I'm like, did I misinterpret? The, ma- uh, the man-eating tiger Did I later. misinterpret the man-eating? T- like, was that the tag game? And I just... No, the, the didn't get the metaphor. Uh, the laughing tiger <laughs> is the game. Then he later tells about the man eating tiger, mm-hmm. and then Johnny kind of marries them in his mind. Mm-hmm. Is kind of how that goes. So Johnny doesn't plan on going to see Stilson. He's like, "No, I'm going to drive the other direction." Still winds up in the town, mm-hmm. <laughs> and somehow winds up at the very front of the stage. Shakes Greg Stilson's hand and gets the most powerful flash he has ever gotten. He sees. Stilson with less hair and more office because he's taking oath to become president of the United States and then ending the world. And it's it's interesting, too, because it's through like this bluish and yellow haze. The the filter. Yeah, Yeah, the filter. This is a good part. So, Josh, now that we get to this part where he's he's seeing seeing Greg Stilson's future, I want to know what you thought the blue and yellow filter was. But first I had another, I want to jump back and ask you who you thought the Castle Rock Strangler was. (laughs) The second Frank Dodd's name was mentioned, I remember. You remember. I did not think this the first time we read through, but having known the answer and reading it the second time, they set up Greg to be the, the strangler. strangler. Yeah. Pretty bad. I didn't know if that was just me well, imagining things. No, because things. We, we get things from Greg's perspective and we see he's a psychopath. Okay. I, I just wanted to know. That was something I kept saying last. It's like, I, there's so much I can't ask you. I just <laughs> wanted to ask you that. I couldn't ask you last week. Do you think Greg <laughs> Stilson's the killer? Because you're wrong. <laughs> I, I want an entire book about the Castle Rock Strangler and... And Johnny finally, like the last ditch effort, is bringing in the psychic. Maybe oh. with a more likable protagonist than George Bannerman leading the like Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what what was the actual question? Oh, what about the... the filter. Oh, God, I'm seriously embarrassed to give my answer. <laughs> 
because I I thought it was the you know the dead zone that's where where he can't quite see things just right he has a problem with seeing streets and locations so i thought that he just couldn't tell where he was and that (laughs) god damn it that's adorable like the oval office has like blue carpet See, it's stupid. But I was like, oh, there's something blocking it. It's because it's location related. Do you want me to make you feel better? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I have read this before, but I didn't remember a lot of specifics. I read it probably when I was a teenager. I thought that it was a reference like to the tiger stripes. And it was like yellow and maybe blue were the eyes. And because he had been told that story about fighting the tiger that... That was just like a, I don't know, a cue to him that he should kill him, God, that which doesn't make sense either. A, I think that's a better interpretation than <laughs> it's than, a stretch. Uh, here's something. Now maybe I'll save it for when we actually find out what the filter okay. is, because <laughs> I I remembered what it was kind of. This intensity makes Johnny black out. He comes to and gets the third degree from a local sheriff and an he, FBI agent. He comes to like he hits the ground. Mm. He comes to in jail. Although he's not locked up, technically. But this is weird. Yeah, he's getting the third degree from this FBI agent, and he wisely keeps his information to himself and pretends like it was no big deal. This FBI agent is investigating Stilson, and later we find out he gets blown up. Yeah, which which at that point I was like, oh, I'm glad he didn't tell him, because I wanted him to tell him, and I wanted them to team up, and I wanted it to be, you know, like a detective. Yeah, they watch the results come in, Stilson wins the election, We find out Herb's getting remarried. Very exciting for everybody. It's a beautiful wedding. You know, there's dancing, there's toasts, and talk of would you kill Hitler? (laughs) All classic wedding (gasps) games. This reminds... Oh, God. I'm so sorry that all I talk about in this book is other Stephen King works that reminds me (laughs) of. But this reminds me of Dolan's Cadillac when he goes to his mathematician friend and he's like, if I was writing a book about a... burying a giant spacecraft (laughs) no i swear to god i was i thought you were gonna bring up 11 22 63 again this seems like the most perfect part to bring up 11 22 63 and i i do get what you're saying because it is like him being like (laughs) i'm real smooth real if you could kill hitler go back in time would you do it yeah (laughs) i get both because i did think of 11 22 63 i can never ever remember dates are hard (laughs) All the while, so Johnny is, he knows he he needs to do something. He's really just kind of looking for confirmation from people. And there are some interesting discussions about, what, you know, it's. Yeah, uh, we find out his friend slash student's dad would join the Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Try to fix it from the inside. Yeah. That, uh, just. That's, <laughs> I know it's a fun hypothetical question. But you found the one wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back in time, would you kill Hitler? No. I would be Richard, the reasonable Nazi. What are you talking about? You fucking asshole. I want to hear the theme song for the sitcom. I don't. Richard, the reasonable Nazi. Johnny's trying to decipher the vision because he keeps, he's never been able to shake it. He hears the screams of the dying, the smell of the dead, and always the laughing tiger that it is clear he has that feeling. Mm-hmm. And then we get an entire chapter, the most boring chapter I've ever read in my entire life, 
which is a chapter of just Greg, all of the research that Johnny has done on Greg, because he's now obsessed with Greg. If anybody grew up in a religious household or is still religious and you've had to or read of your own volition the Bible, this part is like the begets. The, all right the this person begets that per yeah this person this person this person they're the son and daughter of this person i don't know how you be a son and daughter but <laughs> <laughs> i liked this you did? part really yeah. i well i always like more information on our villains sure. i think they're just fascinating obviously in a really shitty way because this guy sucks and a lot of this is political machinations which is not the most exciting thing to read about i don't know i i I found it interesting that as he's reading and becoming obsessed with this guy he's like he's getting really afraid of greg stilson and we're supposed to think oh my god what a crazy guy this is because he is proposing what is in this the year of our lord 2021 fairly middling Republican beliefs. (laughs) Like, I I don't know. I just found it interesting seeing the rise of this guy who we have seen kick a dog to death. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite Greg Stilson story from this (laughs) chapter, Ben? (laughs) We all have a favorite Greg Stilson story. Uh, I liked how he created the Great Lakes with his giant boots. Um, my favorite character is his best friend, Babe the Big Blue Ox. Yeah. Uh, no, I do like a, he. That's his great. his backstory is crazy. It's wild. Um, There's so many crazy stories in this. The the best part is he was a rainmaker. Hmm. I love yeah, that, that was part. That was the best part of this. He tells at, at 19 years old, heading out into the world and going to this this town and saying, "Hey." All you farmers are gathering up witch doctors for some reason to to bring the rain. Well, I'll do it. I'm Christian. And and you don't have to pay me until I deliver on my promise. Yeah. And he, the image of him being driven around the town on the back of a flatbed truck, that's compelling. That is my favorite of all of the crimes that he's committed. (laughs) Because I just love that they, it rains, they pay him $17 because they're like, it was going to rain anyway. He (laughs) takes that $17, buys an ad in the paper telling the whole town how these guys fucked him, and then says, don't worry about it. I don't need money. But if you want to send money, send it to this address. And then he gets them to donate a bunch of money. Then the cattlemen hire thugs to go attack him. The thugs lose their pants and have brass knuckles shoved up their asses. Oh my god, I forgot about that part. (laughs) Yeah! That was wild. And then the cattlemen send him $700. So he originally got paid $17 and turned it into about a grand, if not Mm -hmm. more. There's a different book where Greg Stilson's the hero. (laughs) (laughs) The the brass knuckles up the ass was definitely... uh, it's a, a, it's a darker book. It was a I'll real that. <laughs> it was a real turning point. Happier note: Chuck graduated, guys. Yay! And he's he gonna can, have he a great. Read. He's gonna have a great uh, graduation party with everybody in town. He's also having a graduation. Fuck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty good. That was great. Good. That's great. Everybody in this town goes to this steakhouse for graduation dinner. It took me so long. <laughs> oh. What? To remember that this scene happened. (laughs) (laughs) 
this is like the strangler thing. It's these two storylines in this book are like gems that you could have easily had more of, or they could have been their separate thing or a short story. But he has a vision of all of like almost all of the graduating class because the the steakhouse is going to get struck by lightning and it's going to burn down and they're not going to be able to get out most of them. And Chuck is going to be one of them who mm -hmm. dies. Yeah. And the the whole all because the guy that owns a steakhouse didn't buy lightning rods 200 pages ago. (laughs) (laughs) I liked, though, that he has this vision and he has it very loudly in front of everybody. And so people get freaked out. But Chuck and his dad are like, hey, are you okay?" They're showing genuine concern and caring for his well-being. They're not like, you're ruining our fancy rich party. And so (laughs) they get him calmed down and he tells them what's up. They all know about him already, but everybody kind of ignores it because they're just focused on what he's doing, which is teaching. And he's really good at it. And they decide to try to talk to this guy. And he ignores them. He's like, they've already put down a deposit and they're going to bring in revenue. I am not canceling this because of this nut job. And later the dad's like, I should have just bought him out of of the deposit and everything. If if I'd paid him $3,000 to shut shut down for the night, that would have been $37 a life. Yeah, because he doesn't do that. They go home and they decide that they're going to throw a party, a competing party at their house and invite the whole class. And so some people choose to go to that and some people choose to go to the steakhouse. And it's a very tense and interesting scene where they're playing cards upstairs, the adults, and they're listening to the radio and they're listening to the thunder outside and nobody believes him until it, of course, comes on the radio and a lot of people died. But not as many as would have because there are a bunch of kids in the basement mm-hmm. having fun. The the tension of this scene, because you just, yeah, I mean, you obviously know mm-hmm. what's going to happen with Johnny. And him just like the dad of this family is humoring him. But just having to be in this room, knowing the dread of it, mm-hmm. you yeah. know a lot of people are about to die and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's crazy the level of humoring he does for Johnny because, mm-hmm. I mean, that just shows you how much goodwill Johnny has earned and how much they value what he's done for their family because he doesn't believe him. And so for a guy with kind of his personality and beliefs to be willing to go that far was kind of amazing. Well, it also helps that Chuck is so on board mm-hmm. that I think helps sways Roger over a little bit. Yeah. After this incident, he leaves. He ducks out and he leaves the family and uh, heads back to to Maine. And the next chapter is a series of letters that he's being sent. One of the letters is from Roger. He has paid off all of the medical bills that Johnny owed. And he said, it's not this isn't a, a guilty conscience so much as it is just doing what I can because I could have done more. And I, I want to. This is this is a thank you. You saved my son's mm-hmm. life and you saved a lot of lives. So either cash this check or I'm going to keep mailing yeah, you this check. <laughs> and that's also the only way he can look at himself because he feels terrible. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, Johnny's just trying to decide he is racked with guilt over going back and forth of what he could have done. He could, he have driven his car into the building. Could he have burned down Kathy's himself while it was empty <laughs> and trying to decide what consequences are worth what action? 
Which leads us to his ultimate decision mm. with Stiltson. So, yeah. I mean, it, I understand why this story is in there. I I would have liked more of it. I, I, I do agree. And that's why I think after this, the, the big takeaway I'm taking from this book is I really want to go back and rewatch the Dead Zone TV show. <laughs> it, this does make sense why I always wondered why Dead Zone was adapted into a TV show. Mm-hmm. And reading this book, it makes perfect sense it, it has so much it the idea of johnny's powers there's so much you can do with it mm-hmm. yeah i do agree i uh with cm that i just wish there were more stories mm-hmm. like this he runs through all of his options and it all comes down to the only way to stop stilson is to kill him he's going to he realizes history will remember him as a monster he accepts that and he buys a gun a large attache case and a train ticket to New York City. <laughs> okay. That's how you, if you're taking the train, you have to say it that way. I thought of you every time that he talked about his case. <laughs> it wasn't a valise. I'm not interested. Eh, isn't it the same thing? What's <laughs> not, the difference? It's not the same name. And it's, <laughs> okay. the, it's the name. It's, okay. I'm, I'm a brand whore. <laughs> he gets to New York, takes a bus to New Hampshire, and Johnny meets the weirdest bartender who has a dog that he wants to kill someone. Very strange. Uh, what did you guys think of this, this interaction? This is where Johnny is, he's trying to find out where Stilson's going to be because he's making a circuit of speeches. So what did you guys think of this interaction? I liked this entire section of him more or less doing the the mental work of, do I do this or not? And at this point, when he... Uh, goes to this bar he's decided like it's it's done but as he goes through each step this is the section i i love this chapter because each step it is told through the people he's interacting with and how they remember him later Mm -hmm. so it's him buying this gun and walking out and the guy selling him the gun says he wouldn't see him again until he saw him in the Arizona sun or whatever. Some lady, I didn't see him again till after the event, you know, all mm-hmm. that. I, I, I like thinking about it from O'Donnell's perspective. It's such a strange interaction that it would stick out in your memory. Well, it was, I, th- I thought it was interesting Johnny talking to somebody who is a vehement Stilson supporter. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the, uh, the reason I I just can't put it into words. Like what I was hoping from that scene, Johnny finds out he's going to be in Jackson this weekend. And he's keeps going back and forth. Like, well, if I don't get him in Jackson, I can get him next week in this city or next week in this city. But he knows that he's just saying that he needs to do it. He goes back to his hotel. He writes a bunch of letters we should talk about quickly why he needs to do it because he finds out he's dying. He has a tumor. Yes. So he's he was thinking initially, I can just get him before he starts World War Three, but now he has to do it before he dies himself. Yeah, everybody, he, like they see his bloodshot eyes and he has a limp and things now. Like mm-hmm. it's getting worse. So Johnny gets to Jackson a day before Stilson and he scopes out the town hall pretending to be a photographer. A very bad one. <laughs> little, little did he know. An aspiring photographer would be there taking a driver's test, <laughs> which was, I did not think that interaction was going to be so important. I, I didn't. I thought it was just another, you know, King thing. Yeah. That's yeah. In there. <laughs> yeah. Just, just important. Oh, there's a weird guy here. I, I like, he's like, what's your F stop? He's like, what? 
the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, that was funny because he's put there to be kind of like a, uh-oh, Almost is Johnny like going to get caught? Yeah. Because Johnny's there with a camera with no film in it. <laughs> he just like got an He doesn't an know empty, anything about cameras. Doesn't know anything. So this kid's like, yeah, what kind of camera is that? What's f stop? What kind of, and he's like, uh, the know. usual f stop. Yeah, <laughs> but also yeah, the normal one. Who cares? What's gonna happen if he's like, I was pretending. Oh, I yes. just well, and all he has to do is say, "Oh, I changed the settings based on the environment and what <laughs> yeah. that's available." You couldn't do that back then. It's the late seventies. Oh my god! You get what you get in the seventies. That was the seventies motto, right? I don't know. All I right. wasn't alive yet. <laughs> So Johnny mails the letters at four in the morning as he makes his way sneaking across to town hall. He breaks in and finds a spot up in the what is it, the gallery mm-hmm. that overlooks where the speech is going to be. He survives grueling torture by karaoke soundcheck. And he tries his best to stay still and, and doze off even a little bit as he now just has to wait. Uh, some of the writing in this section as he's walking and then waiting is so dark and atmospheric. Mm-hmm. I li- When he's walking, he hasn't reached it. It's four in the morning and he says he feels dark and somehow holy. But he <laughs> stops thinking this because this isn't holy work. He is very upset with the fact that he has concluded that the only thing he can mm-hmm. do is murder because he's he's not into that. Yeah, he. you feel how miserable he is mm-hmm. every second of this last little section. As he's waiting in this balcony overlooking where Stilson's going to have this, uh, this rally, the wood stove in this building is off overnight, and there's a line, paraphrasing, that says uh, he could feel the cold seeping into his clothes and then into his bones a preview of the grave or something like that. And it's like, oh, it's not going to end well. Not a happy ending we're getting towards. At 9 a.m., Sonny Elliman and his gang of thugs show up to do a security check. Yeah, or kind of. Or kind of, (laughs) because... Fucking Bulk and Skull over here doing a great job. I I was, like, freaking out, because, like, he tells... He sends Moochie upstairs to check... Moochie opens the door and is like, all right, it's good. And then closes it and leaves. Yeah. Johnny didn't have to do anything. But he, but him freaking out the whole time about having nowhere mm-hmm. to hide was pretty intense. We, we The moments arrived. Greg Stilson is in the building. The room is full. Johnny decides to take his shot and he's lining it up. And I don't quite remember if he gets a shot off before or after he's spotted by someone after people he stands up and people immediately start screaming yeah and and so he's trying to get greg and and greg is at first he's just standing there and and sonny's like get down you idiot (laughs) and and so he starts moving and his henchmen are firing at johnny they hit him Mm -hmm. fatal gunshot wound and he goes down and it's there's a moment where he's berating himself he's like just like Come on, man. Just hit him. You Literally, can't do like, this. You're doing a great job at killing this guy. <laughs> yeah, it was very stressful to read about it because it seemed like he was not going to get him. But what I liked is that Greg Stilson does the ultimate 
bad guy thing that you he fucks up in such a way that you wish all the shitty people in the world would publicly fuck up and he grabs this woman's baby out of her hands and uses it as cover so johnny doesn't shoot him well it's not a baby it's a child like it's an adolescent <laughs> a baby it's, would not be a good a baby body would be a terrible shield, shield. It's very small okay, a kid yeah well the the reason i make the distinction is because the part that haunted me about this i turned to my wife as i was reading this and i said uh babe for the sake of argument if you were to grab a child to use them as a human shield Mm -hmm. how would you grab them and she looked at me like (laughs) i was an insane person as she often does and said under the armpits i guess and i said you'd think In the book I'm reading, this man is holding a child by the neck and crotch Mm -hmm. lengthwise (laughs) as a human shield. That's like the the imagery. I think he's holding it upright. I don't know. I think he's holding it sideways. I think he's holding it lengthwise. I feel like he's maximizing the the mass of this kid. (laughs) Okay, so anyway. It's like carrying a heavy box. You're supposed to lift it by one corner and then the other. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, okay. But just the idea of just neck and crotch is such a brutal way. It is an inhumane way to hold a human. <laughs> this is just like you thinking Tadu's Lumkey and Thinner hops away giggling when he curses <laughs> no, people. No, <laughs> that is not because the facts of the text say <laughs> neck and crotch. I just had the orientation <laughs> different than you guys. <laughs> he, but the, the fact remains, that's a terrible way to hold a person. <laughs> Maybe, well, I... No, it's not, though, if you don't want your human shield to struggle away from you. If you got me by the armpits and I'm a human shield, I'm I'm fighting. If you have me by the balls, maybe I'm a little calmer because <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm just saying, like, imagine seeing this, Yeah, how gruesome it is to, like, he's not Lion Kinging this child up. <laughs> I don't think it would matter. He's holding it still. up in front of a rifle. <laughs> That that is true. Oh, and, the, and this is where our our guy, who we thought was just a fun king moment, snaps yeah. a picture of him using this child as a human shield and takes off. Fortunately, although he's chased down, but he gets away. Yeah, this and fucking the- kid is like when he met at the town hall. He was like, one day I'm gonna take a picture like the raising the flag at Iwo Jima. I'm gonna be famous. And then in an interview, they ask him about this picture. He's like, yeah, fucking kicks ass, right? <laughs> This kid's an idiot, and I love him. But the important thing is the human shield child is wearing a blue snowmobile suit with Mm -hmm. yellow piping. And that is our blue filter. And Johnny has this moment where he's like, oh, that's what it is. I have to take the shot. If I don't do this, so many people are going to die. But instead of shooting through a child, good thing he didn't do that. Johnny takes two bullets, drops the rifle, falls over the banister, breaking his back and both of his legs. And Sonny turns him over. Greg yells at them to go kick that guy's ass who took the photo. And Stilson remembers Johnny. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you feel something, too, when Johnny touches yeah. you. Yeah. As he's looking down at him, he remembers him. And Johnny reaches out and touches Stilson's ankle. And in that moment before Stilson pulls away, he realizes that he's changed everything. Mm-hmm. How did that moment feel to you guys? Really super sad because he's dead. I like Johnny mm-hmm. and I didn't want him to die and that he was willing to sacrifice everything 
to save people who will never understand or know. Mm -hmm. This whole book's a goddamn bummer Uh, because (laughs) the whole message of the book that I can figure out is that God is real and he doesn't give a shit about you. (laughs) He's going because that was the premise of the stand. Well, yeah, (laughs) Johnny, the whole book he has. He's on rails. He doesn't have free will. Everything that happens to him feels so determined already. And so when this happens, it's so sad because like as he thinks when this is happening, this isn't his fault. This shouldn't be his Mm. responsibility. Why him? Well, think about what someone like Greg or Frank would do with that same power. Kind of going back to our talk about these three individuals having kind of a similar, in a way, experience that might have shaped them in similar ways, but it didn't. You know, he does have free will because he chooses to act on his visions for the greater good and put himself like (laughs) way, way, way last. And either of those other guys, if they had that power, that would be a nightmare. They'd be super villains. That makes sense. Yeah. I I like that there's even... uh, I'm trying to remember where it is, but he realizes that, you know, he easily could have died in that crash at the very beginning of this book. Every moment he's had is been borrowed time. So if he doesn't use that chance, just like his mom was telling him, if you don't use this chance that you shouldn't have gotten to make some real change, do something real, then it's uh, it's a waste. I really liked that. That line, too, where mm-hmm. he's acknowledging, saying, you know, I should have died and I didn't. And and this is me fulfilling my purpose. It's it's weird because it makes his mom kind of a, a hero of the story mm-hmm. retroactively for always believing in him, even though she's crazy. Yeah, that's why the, the message of the book confuses me, because I guess the real heroes of the story are Johnny's mom who was crazy and Johnny who assassinate tries to assassinate a person. Like it's, <laughs> it's a weirdly pro. It's weird though. Because holy war. He didn't kind want of message. He didn't want to murder. And yeah. He didn't murder. I mean, he True. tried, but he failed. And the reason he decided on murder is because he thought about, okay, there's gotta be some way that I can set this guy up. I can bring things to light. But then the FBI guy was murdered and he realized the FBI can't like set him up to fall. Mm. Neither can I. So I have to murder. But he actually does what he would have preferred to do. He just dies in the process and almost compromises his ultimate moral value of not murder Mm -hmm. in the process as well. And I think that his mom can still be crazy, but can still Mm -hmm. be a hero, too. She just takes that. She takes her belief a little too far in some unhealthy directions. Yeah. So I, I almost see it as more of a positive message. You know, we're flawed. So even if we are in the right, we'll still fuck some stuff up. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. We conclude with uh, part three, which is notes from the dead zone, which is we get excerpts from the letter that he dropped off in the mailbox to uh, his dad and, and Chuck and Sarah Meanwhile, also getting excerpts from the Stilson committee that's investigating this assassination. Sam Wyzek stands up for Johnny saying that the tumor didn't pull the trigger. Johnny was in his right mind. Johnny 
he believed everything he wrote mm-hmm. in the letters because the the court has the letters. And we we end things with Sarah visiting Johnny's grave, and they have this quiet moment. And before she leaves, she can feel Johnny's presence with her, and that's Ugh. how we end the dead zone. Man, how do you? What do you guys think of that? Uh, of of ending with Sarah and Johnny? I liked it because we kind of began with them. And in the meantime, she had had another baby and her life, not dream, but the vision, what she knew was going to happen with her life, marrying her husband, all of that has come to fruition. And I think it was a nice closure for me as the reader to to have them together that final moment closing the book. I liked it because I was rooting for them and lamenting what they never got the chance to have together. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, should I should you have gone before me? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was really cheesy. Uh, the like her cheese, uh, his his <laughs> grave, the, the the ghostly hand. I was like, uh, re- okay, fine, that's that's fine, sure. And I thought it was really cheesy and kind of lame. But I do have to admit that on the second to last page that ends with her at the grave, and then she feels a hand drop on her shoulder, and then it cuts to something else. When the hand dropped on her shoulder, I did gasp out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Then felt really dumb about it. Did you think she was getting pet cemeteried? I guess. I was like, Frank Dodd, he's back. (laughs) I felt that it was sad for a different reason. It made me really sad at this moment to realize that this relationship with Sarah is probably the most valuable relationship he ever had with like a significant like with a loved uh, mm-hmm. a loved one it just made me feel really sad that that's that's the closest he got to being connecting to uh, another person like that like finding his soulmate uh, josh are you crying is that a, it's just, <laughs> is that a single tear rolling down yeah, that was sad. <laughs> all right let's rate this thing shall we ben do you want to go first yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> it was fine I'm in a weird spot. Okay, you started okay. off loving I, it. See, that's the thing. I'm in a weird spot because I remember reading this book and absolutely loving it. But the book I remember reading is not this book. <laughs> I don't know why the parts I remembered. I remembered this book being more action-packed, more of about the mystery and it's not at all. I'm I'm so sorry to interject on your rating because we usually don't do that. Not a problem. But I understand completely because right? I also remembered it that way. So may I make a request? Absolutely. Can you rate this mm. just the way you're rating it on this reading? Can you also rate it like from memory? How many? <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> okay. I'm um, just curious. The, the version right. of the book I remember that was about <laughs> Johnny hunting Frank Dodd mm-hmm. was easily four out of five. And this book, still very good. It is just way more, you have to approach it as like a character-based book and not an action thriller. That being said, it gets real slow near the end, I thought. And some of the stuff is really anticlimactic. I'll give it respectable three out of five blue chambray shirts. Not bad. Yeah, I feel I feel you, Ben. I really do. 
this being my first time reading it, uh, originally I I realized that this is a book that is so much better when you're explaining it to somebody. <laughs> when you are running down the premise and the plot points of this book to someone else, the book sounds kick-ass. But there are just, there's some of those lulls. And at first I thought that this was the fact that I kind of went into this book not knowing anything because I, I never look into the books before we do them if I haven't read them. And I was not expecting this book. I was not expecting a a character piece, as Ben said. I wasn't expecting a this book is this person's life like we got with Revival. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe that's what's hurting it in my overall feelings about it. But then I realized I didn't know that going into Revival either. And I loved that. <laughs> so that tells me that that the foreknowledge is not the problem here. Do I love all of these short stories and all these vignettes? Yes, they kick so much ass. But it some of those parts are just the the ups are really up there, but the downs are just too too down and too long for me. Uh, so I'm gonna give this a three out of five blue chambray shirts. When we started this, I thought we were all gonna be five out of five here. <laughs> just we started off with so much excitement yeah <laughs> Wait, i mean that's okay right with your heart cm no i just i feel so bad because i feel like i have nothing to add to it what either of you said and i can't really argue against what you said for a higher <laughs> rating although we know what i'm gonna rate it because i did love it it was a lot of fun it had as many slow low parts as any other king book or any other book I've read except for Annihilation. <laughs> and I I love Johnny. I just love his character. And I guess it always goes back to this for me. It doesn't matter what happens in the book, how it's resolved. If it leaves me lingering in that universe and wanting more of those characters and opens up my imagination to what they might be doing or if they had lived or if this had happened, what they might do or if we had another book. I love that a lot. So I'm going to give it five out of five blue chambray shirts. And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next episode where we are going to be covering the movie The Dead Zone. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm Sam Alexander reminding you, we all do what we can and it has to be good enough. And if it isn't good enough, it has to do. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Dead Zone, part two. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email of your thoughts, your ratings, requests at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash dairypublicradio for bonus episodes. And our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Dairy Public Radio for other merchandise. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.